Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today, Erickson Immigration Attorneys Katie Desmond and Crystal Kurse address the newest policy update from USCIS, which now allows labor youths to directly send negative assessments to the agency if they have suspicion that candidates may falsify their review. Our attorneys take a look at what this may mean for a visa process and how candidates may prepare themselves in the wake of this new update. Come join us Beyond Borders. The O-1 category is set aside for individuals of extraordinary ability within their field, and it really can be any field from the arts to athletics to business to science. In order to qualify for an O-1, you have to show that the individual has received a major international award in their field or that they satisfy at least three of the criteria under the regulations, so receipt of awards, media coverage, lead critical roles, etc., There's also two categories under the O-1, O-1A, which is for folks working in business, science, athletics, and then O-1B, which is really set aside for artistic talent. And within the O-1B category, there's a separate subgroup for folks working in motion picture and film. Now, these folks in motion picture and film with their O-1 filing require a consultation from a labor union and a management organization. All other O-1s require a consultation from either a peer group, management organization, or a labor union. But labor union consultations are a firm requirement for television motion picture. So USCIS is now accepting copies of negative O-1 visa consultations directly from labor unions. Okay, so first, what are these consultations? So advisory opinions is what we call them in-house, but... In this memo, they're considered consultations. They're required for every single O-1 petition. Now, they typically really only apply for the motion picture industry, sports-related, and arts, where there actually are appropriate labor unions and peer groups that oversee these industries. And so essentially, we just have to reach out to them and say, look, you know, this employer would like to employ this person who is highly qualified in this area. What do you think? And they either come back and they say, great, this person definitely qualifies for an O-1. Here's our positive uh, advisory opinion. Or they can come back and say, this isn't within our jurisdiction, which is, I think, what I have come across most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we have to reach out just to meet the, the requirements. Or they can come back and say, this does fall within our jurisdiction. However, this person doesn't qualify, which is kind of what this is discussing, the negative O-1 visa consultations. Right. And the consultations from labor unions are really only required for O-1B applicants that are going to be working in motion picture or television. So I think this new policy announcement is really geared towards folks that are going to be working in the arts. Mm -hmm. So this policy is allowing, not directing, just allowing labor unions to submit negative consultations directly to USCIS. And I find it really interesting the way in which this was brought up. It doesn't appear, based on the information we know at this point, that it was based on affirmative fraud occurring with O-1 visas. Exactly. Instead, what the the memo states uh, from USCIS is that the director met with several labor unions, and these labor unions had their own concerns that their letters were being altered after the fact to 
be more positive than they were originally. From my perspective, I'm just really curious as to kind of where that suspicion originated from and what evidence they have to show that this actually is happening. Now, look, I'm all for eradicating immigration fraud. And I think anybody who is in this field is, is supports that. But we also have to have some sort of balancing. For something like this, where the organization can now reach out to USAIS and be like, look, in case you receive this O-1 petition, we didn't give them our positive feedback. It's just kind of, it's a bit abstract than it is more concrete. Yeah, it's it, and it really does remain to be seen how this will be implemented, mm-hmm. what the outcome of this will be. Is it going to delay petitions? And is it going to really uncover any sort of systemic fraud in the Owen category, because to date, there's really been no evidence of that type of systemic mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. So Katie, you uh, you had mentioned before, I mean, you've been working on Owen petitions for a long time, about a decade mm-hmm. or so. So in your experience, have you ever come across where you have, in fact, received a negative outcome? And like, what do you do in that? Because I've never had that before. I don't know if it, you know, I'm just grateful to have these individuals who are so qualified where the organizations either come back saying this doesn't fall within our jurisdiction or go ahead, this is a, you know, a qualified individual. Yeah, exactly. So I think we've been really fortunate here. We haven't had any negative advisories come back. And I think moving forward, that's something that immigration attorneys are really going to have to strive to take into consideration with these filings. A, are you filing far enough in advance to allow yourself time to submit a very detailed petition mm-hmm. to the advisory group, which often requires an additional two weeks to then issue the advisory opinion. Mm-hmm. So if your case is finalized and ready to be sent out the door, you then need to send it over to the advisory group. That's adding two weeks onto your visa preparation timeline. And oftentimes you can't submit your petition to these advisory groups until you have everything because they want to see a signed petition, they want to see a detailed support letter, and they want to see the evidence that you're going to be presenting to immigration. So I think, one, giving yourself enough time, applying early, and giving a a really detailed account to the labor group, Mm -hmm. and also looking at each individual labor group's requirements, the way they want you to submit the request for the consultation, each of these groups have their own processes. Can you, you know, submit the application electronically? Does it have to be by mail? So you really have to pay close considerations to the agency's requirements. And then going back to your original question, Crystal, so I have seen negative consultations come through. In particular, I think folks that have worked in the theater industry, um, equity is just sort of notorious for issuing negative advisory opinions. At least they were several years ago. That may have changed. But I did have several negative advisories for very talented and qualifying O1 artists, you know, who are working on Broadway, had a history of working in Broadway productions. Equity would issue a negative advisory, and then when you'd follow up with them to try to understand their rationale and explain to them how the individual did, in fact, qualify under the regulations, what I was told on several occasions was, well, what we require for our consultations irrespective of what immigration requires, is we're thinking uh, Judy Dench mm-hmm. as a qualifying candidate. So, you know, I think we'd all love to have Judy Dench as our, <laughs> o- our O-1 candidate. Um, but, you know, most folks just don't meet that um, mm-hmm. high standard. Yeah, so that that brings me to another point that I find is, is really interesting. So while obtaining these letters are a requirement to filing the O-1, by no means is it indicative of the result of the case. So even if you do receive a negative outcome, you can still then argue to USCIS, okay, so we received this negative outcome. However, 
please see all these exhibits and all of this evidence to show that this person is in fact qualified for the O-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, a negative consultation letter will play into the officer's adjudication of the case. You know, it might sway the officer one way or the other. But at the end of the day, it's not its not the, the end result. So again, that kind of goes back to, is this really necessary? Mm-hmm. Because the officer in cases for, particularly for O1, O1A cases, where there is no appropriate labor organization, they adjudicate the case based on the evidence presented. And I think because there's so much evidence that is required to submit with O petitions, it's really evident whether or not the individual qualifies regardless of this requirement. If you're trying to stop immigration fraud, I think the officer still has that ability. Even if you get a positive advisory opinion, they can still then deny a case where they're just quite simply not qualified. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it it really does come down to the evidence that's included with these O-1 petitions. Um, So oftentimes they'll include letters of recommendation, but there also must be independent, pre-existing, cooperating evidence. Mm -hmm. And that's key for these O-1 petitions and getting them approved and getting a favorable advisory. So irrespective of the advisory consultation that comes through or whether or not there is a consultation group available, it really comes down to the evidence that are presented for these O-1 petitions. Right. So I think ultimately everybody's looking at this and I think delay is by far the biggest concern that everyone's thinking. You kind of mentioned it before. It's going to require a more robust filing to the labor organization to make sure that you're not getting a negative visa consultation to begin with. But Also, my concern is how much time will USCIS spend to kind of connect these letters that they receive from the organizations to these petitions? Just because a letter is generated doesn't mean, A, that the petition is even filed, or B, when the petition will be filed. It could have been filed before they receive it, and then will they then retroactively deny the cases? Or alternatively, an attorney might receive one of these letters back and be like, oh, well, maybe let me reassess this case and see whether or not this person actually is qualified, and they might not ever file the petition. So what is USCIS really going to do with these letters when they come in, and how are they going to process it, and what delay are we looking at as far as our cases being adjudicated? I think those are really great points, and just sort of looking at the numbers. So fiscal year 2017, there were 30,001 petitions issued. So those are approved and issued cases. That doesn't account for those O's that were ultimately denied. Um, and, and typically when immigration is matching cases or matching a file, they rely on the USCIS case number. Mm-hmm. So these consultations that are coming from labor unions, they don't have a case number. Right. So that's where USCIS is asking for the last five digits of the passport and the name. And I can only imagine that they're going to have a very, very difficult time connecting the dots, as you explained, Mm -hmm. uh, linking these consultations to the petitions. I think delay is is likely. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to see how this works out, particularly with premium processing, where an applicant's paying an additional fee for an expedited decision. Immigration has 15 days to issue a decision. Can they determine if there is a letter coming from a labor organization, match it to the petition, and adjudicate that petition within 15 days? Mm -hmm. That's a big question mark. 
Right. And I'm also concerned about how just the issuance of this policy will affect uh, the preconceived notion of officers when they're adjudicating O-1s from here on forward. Are they going to automatically assume that the letters that they receive are fraudulent? And how is that going to play into the way in which they adjudicate the case? Because if they're already starting off kind of on a bad foot forward, it's not going to have a great result for our clients and for the individuals in which they're trying to employ, which is disheartening. A, there's so much work that goes into these petitions. And throughout that, we really do prove, notwithstanding these letters, that these individuals do qualify. So I'd hate to see that. I'm, I'm optimistic that this won't happen, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. And that there's this possibility that these officers, you know, are going to look at these and be like, okay, well, I'm already starting at on the, you know, the lower end of the scale as opposed to starting right in the middle as at a, at a neutral point. I think it's very, very telling of certain individuals within the administration's preconceived intent mm-hmm. um, that there is fraud in these petitions. What I'm hopeful for is that this six-month assessment period that USCIS has laid out will reveal that there just isn't systemic fraud within the O-1 visa category. My hope is that USCIS uses that to say, okay, you know what, let's apply our resources elsewhere mm-hmm. because it's you know nothing to, to uncover here. And ultimately, the O-1 category is reserved for the best and the brightest in the field. These are people that we want in the U.S. These are people that we want contributing to our society. Um, You know, these are creative talents. These are artists, key executives, thought leaders in their field. And this O-1 category is a great tool that allows companies to bring this talent to the U.S. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.